The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This episode of Ben the Knee is brought to you by our bannermen, Lord Jason Ross, Lady Lisbon Morales, and Lady Elizabeth Hendricks. Hello and welcome to Ben the Knee, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am Sir Matt the Bud Knight. And I am Sir Jimmy of House Nuts. Welcome to our Song of Ice and Fire book club. Today we are into Storm of Swords, Aria 1. Yeah, back to the reread. It, feels it has good. been it has been a bit, you know. House of the Dragon, there's just so much to cover. And then of course we had the Rise of the Dragon book. There was a lot, but it's okay because now we're back into the reread. It was really fun actually diving back into, especially Storm of Swords. And maybe it's just because some of the small chapters, which today's chapter is, you know, it's Aria One, you know, chapter like four of a Storm of Swords. Sometimes when you read these chapters, I think maybe on your first read, because they're not as big, you're just sort of like, okay, it is what it is, and you move on. And you know, we'll obviously get to it. I was doing some research on the internet and some of my own note-taking as well. There's actually a lot of stuff in here that you can actually break down, and you're like, wow, okay, that's going to tie into this later. That's going to tie into this later. And I think especially a Storm of Swords, and I'm really curious to see if this is the case. You know, we know that George when he was his original sort of plan was that this would be maybe a trilogy and there would be a time jump. There's actually one line in here that sort of stuck out to me. And I was kind of like, Oh, I wonder if this was something you can see where maybe George like had this idea. Maybe he was changing it. As we know now it's five books. Who knows when still may get split into two. We don't know. That was definitely something that sort of stuck you know, stuck, stuck out to me. So before we dive in, do you have any, like, just, I guess, maybe general thoughts of diving back into the chapters or anything? Well, or? first off, it's a pleasure to jump back into Storm of Swords. This is my favorite fantasy book. I have read hundreds of fantasy books. It's like what I do. And uh, this is still number one after everything that I've read and all the, I've read a lot of really good stuff, but this is definitely my favorite book of all time still. And I'm glad that I've jumped in, into this with you towards the beginning because the buildup, and the anticipation and the dread that I feel as we get further in is going to be almost overwhelming, but it's something I subject myself to about once a year for some reason. Um, but you're right. I think slowing down and we do a chapter a week. And when you do that, you can do a little bit of close reading and you can want to appreciate a lot of the things that George does really well, because I do think that he's a talented writer, but also on the flip side of that is that you can start to really start uh, seeing meaning and the little things that George sprinkles in throughout the text, which we will go over when we get into the details here. But it kind of goes to show you that even in a 10 page chapter at the beginning of a book, George is able to throw in just little things, little layers, little details uh, that when put together, not only just build out this amazingly epic book, but it is one of the reasons why we keep coming back to the series and are able to speculate on many, many things. And uh, it's just really impressive. It's really impressive how he uh, paces his chapters as well as his books. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the other things I, I 
I always do when we do these, uh, the, when you do the chapters, is I like to go, well, I like a lot of the a Song of Ice and Fire related subreddits, so, you know, over on Reddit, but they have one that's a Song of Ice and Fire reread, and they've been doing it for an incredibly long time. And so actually some of the notes you can find, I mean, they've read this thing like four or five times, so they have like cycles and you can go back and click through it. It's really sort of interesting to go back and read some of the ones from like eight years ago. Oh yeah. 12 years ago. So, you know, before the show has sort of influenced some of their perceptions. Now, some of the song of ice and fire subreddits, are like you're not even allowed to talk about the show. It has to be a state book. Only. But of course, <laughs> obviously it, it's still going to sort of influence how people think, you know, something might happen in wins or, but it's just sort of really interesting, I think, to get some of those details. So as we pick up this reread, if I find some interesting threads, I'll add them into my our little notes section and I'll bring them up here. The A Song of Ice and Fire uh, forum, I think it's a form of Ice and Fire, which is attached to the wiki. Mm -hmm. the same thing. There's a lot of like really old theories and, and things like that. So I think it's really just interesting, you know, especially now. Now we have House of the Dragon, which influences us, right? Because the dagger that they're using. In House of the Dragon is the one that Arya used to kill the Night King in the show. Is it going to go that way in the books? I don't know. Probably not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I probably hi highly, know. highly unlikely to, to perhaps be, <laughs> perhaps be the case. But, you know, I think it's just sort of hard. Um, and again, I think a lot of our listeners, I know when we when we were in around season eight, were people who were, had only watched the show and they want to dive into the books for the first time. Yeah. And since we're sort of restarting this off, you know, say the same thing, because I know we have a lot of listeners who now it's like house of the dragon might be their first entry into mm -hmm. a song of ice and fire and then maybe they've gone back and watched game of thrones or whatever so as you're diving into some of these books and stuff like that i think it's just interesting to get some of these other sort of perceptions and uh, perspectives as well yeah for sure i think getting back into the books also kind of uh, stabilizes a little bit because sometimes we talk about these theories and stuff and i think sometimes it can miss the spirit of the text and like what's actually possible or like what it's trending towards, right? Like we can get mm -hmm. really out there with Tyrion being a time traveling fetus and all this craziness. But when you're in the books, I think you start to get a better feeling about what's actually feasible and maybe what George would be going for, especially when you're reading it as slow as we do. Uh, right. And another thing about those old forums that I love, and I do this sometimes, is I like to go back and sort to when this book came out. And I will just read that. So then you don't even have feast. You don't even have dance out. Right. And it's like, oh, my God. And some people were right, which, you know, does show that there are breadcrumbs in these books that you can follow. And uh, yeah, I don't know. This is a special book. I, I, I truly believe that this has uh, one of the most profound impacts on the fantasy genre as a whole throughout the decades. I think that clearly A Song of Ice and Fire is, you know, the next Biggest thing since Tolkien and obviously uh, Harry Potter and there's many other ones in between that I love. But we're talking about like massive commercial successes and really changing what was commercially viable. Storm of Swords uh, really, really stepped it up and changed the genre forever. So uh, as a fantasy nerd and a big reader, this is such an important book. And I'm so glad we're reading it. I am too. And, and you know, one of the other things I really love now is I have this new monitor. I know you, people can't see it here, but I got, I bought this like, alt, I bought this ultra wide monitor and it's so sick because now the best. boom, I got the text right here. And I used to do it on my tablet upgrades, you That's know, right. had, 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 had to do it. It's so sweet. I'm just Big like, things in 2023 for Ben. Now. I know. I love this. <laughs> I just love this monitor. Right. It's so sweet. It's great. You know, so just, uh, 
Jimmy's, I think Jimmy's looking at me out here in the camera and I'm like uh, smiling because I'm expanding <laughs> my page over here. It's so cool. Um, okay. So I always like to read uh, actually, you know, the first little, little bit of the chapter here, because another thing that I think, you know, we miss out on when we're talking about theories and everything is George is actually an amazing writer. I was going to do the same thing. I have you my know, notes. I, and sometimes you like, Man, I love the battle. Go if you actually just go read the Battle of the Blackwater, just the way he sort of describes like the mist rolling. So good. It's just it's it's so good. His scene setting is pretty phenomenal. And this opening par little paragraph that's only, I think, maybe a sentence or two, um, is fantastic. Yeah. So, real quick, I guess we should probably uh recap since it's been a while yeah. where we left Aria. So remember a big change, especially we have a lot of show viewers is in the show when Arya is at Harrenhal, when she's the cupbearer to Tywin Lannister in the book, she's actually the cupbearer to Roose Bolton, mm -hmm. which is actually, I kind of like, some, I, in, in the show, I kind of like it. I guess I, I kind of like both really. Yeah. You don't really realize in the books how significant that is <laughs> until, you know, a certain wedding comes to place because you're kind of because i remember the first time at reading it and i and you know i had seen the scene a lot of the show but reading that i was like well why does Bruce bolton's her their bannerman why didn't she just say hey i'm Arya stark <laughs> and you know i mean really it's kind of like you know she's still wanting to say hidden but even from Arya's perspective they she does they don't know about the deception that's coming down the line so it still is kind of interesting i still think that's kind of a big really good what if because at the time there's real i don't think there's really a lot of reason for Arya not to say hey i'm the person in charge here but why does Roose bolton show up to take over for tywin lannister like should that i don't know i guess never really triggered in in our minds you know because it's 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 not as clearly described i think mm -hmm. in the books as as you would think yeah and one of the things is that Roose bolton's men you have the bloody mummers and everything i mean they're not necessarily acting like north allegiances they're doing some heinous things and it seems like it's almost like lines are blurred a little bit and i do think that we are supposed to pick up on a little bit of the um, paranoia that aria has about Roose bolton and these people who are representing the north here and i think in retrospect we look back and we're like well maybe aria had a sixth sense because she would have been correct i don't think it would have went very well for her if she had uh said hey Roose, it's me aria <laughs> right I really, I should go back and really look at those chapters, see exactly how it's sort of described. But I had, you know, it's like, hey, that's your, should be your bannerman. So mm -hmm. here we go. The sky was black as the walls of Harrenhal behind them. And they, and the rain fell soft and steady, muffling the sound of their horses' hooves and running down their faces. They rode north away from the lake, following a rutted farm road across the torn fields and into the woods and streams. Arya took the lead, kicking her stolen horse to a brisk, heedless trot until the trees closed in around her. Hot Pie and Gendry followed as best they could. Wolves howled off in the distance, and she could hear Hot Pie's heavy breathing. No one spoke. From time to time, Arya glanced over her shoulder to make sure the two boys had not fallen too far behind and to see if they were being pursued. Ooh, some wolves there. I love that first sentence where the walls are as black as Harrenhal behind them and the rain fell soft and steady. The sounds of the horses hooves, some nice alliteration there, which is uh, uh, something that I'm actually I have an affinity for. I love alliteration, um, especially in fantasy. 
what a scene setter there and kind of setting the mood that there is a, a chase that may or may not be happening, but Arya is convinced it is. And uh, also wolves right there, right there in the beginning, which play a big role in this chapter. Yeah, as we'll get to uh, in, in the end. And of course, this is a reread. So Arya may help warg right at the end of at the end of this chapter. So we get mm -hmm. it right there at the at the beginning. So um, continuing on here uh, just a little bit right here, you know, they would be. She knew she had stolen three horses from the stables and a map and a dagger from Bruce Bolton's own solar and killed a guard on the postern on the postern gate, slitting his throat when he knelt to pick up the worn iron coin that Jack and Hagar had given her. Someone would find him laying dead in his own blood, and then the hue and then the hue and cry would go up. They would wake Lord Bolton and search Heron Hall from Crenel to Cellar, and when they did, they would find the map and dagger missing, along with some swords from the armory, bread and cheese from the kitchens, a baker boy, apprentice smith, and a cupbearer called Nan or Weasel or Ari, depending on who you asked. So this is one that um, I have. I have just some notes here when I when I was reading, right? So like. Then a little bit later, she's sort of thinking back and she sort of describes herself as Arya Stark. So now she's escaped the rain. It's almost like has washed away her old identities. She's now leading a pack hmm. of people. She's free. Like this is the true definition of Arya Stark. Right. Reborn. And this and this sort of no one. Right. And, you know, she's thinking about their like sort of titles. Like it's a baker boy. It's Apprentice Smith. Right. And so it's just real. that's like that's like a very interesting line to thinking back also, like how how much sort of her life has changed. You know, Arya might go through some of the most changes of any character. Yeah, I, I, I love Arya's arc. Uh, and I and I do believe that whenever, you know, we end up going over into the House of Black and White and everything, I, I actually think it's better in the books than it is. I think her arc is better in the books personally um we obviously don't have the ending like we do in the show but that that is just something that i, I personally have uh, an opinion of but i love what you just said there that she is at the head of a pack and in this chapter she even comments on the fact that gendry and hot pie are maybe more afraid of her than they are of the pursuers and we are quickly reminded that Arya has just taken a life and she's 10 years old that is traumatizing. Mm -hmm. This chapter too, I, I think other characters have some of these things as well, but it's really like Catelyn chapters. There's a lot of hinting toward like Lady Stoneheart. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things where it says like, it literally uses the word stone or heart. Uh, yeah. I mean, like there's so many in here, uh, just continuing on a little bit too, right? She's sort of, you know, thinking about the Lord of the Dreadfort, you know, would not coming after him himself. Bruce Boltland would stay abed, his pasty flesh dotted with leeches, yeah. giving commands in his whispery, soft voice. His man, Walton, might lead the hunt. You know, so she's thinking about some of these things. Then she's thinking about the bloody mummers. But here we go. Uh, she's thinking about who's going to chase her. Or perhaps it would be Slobbery Vargo Ho and his sellswords who named themselves the Brave Companions. Others called them the Bloody Mummers, though never to their faces you know if they and then she's thinking what'll happen if they catch us he'll cut off our hands and our feet Arya thought and then Bruce Bolton will peel the skin off of us so is that a line that's actually hinting towards something that Arya is kind of doing later it's a good question I, I mean it's certainly showing that she expects like a certain level of violence and 
later in the chapter, whenever she's in her wolf dream, she is the one performing horrendous violence upon them. So it's almost like a sense of knowing that she's supposed to be powerless, but yet still riding on. Uh, they ride on and she leads the pack. And yeah, I think that this chapter is very, very indicative of where she will end up and kind of who she's becoming and all of the kind of twists and turns on the way there. And we also just got a ton of really good Roose Bolton information there, did we not? Yeah. Really good stuff. Yeah. You know, I, we, I, I mean, I just did a, a TikTok uh, about like, is Varys a merman, which I think is, you know, one of the funniest sort of like <laughs> crazy ones. But, you know, there's another sort of one that I think a lot of people view as sort of ridiculous, which is the idea of Roose Bolton perhaps being sort of a vampire or being some sort of long undead creature who wears the skin of the of the people. But, you know, sort of the interesting thing about it is it's not really as crazy as you think when there's literally a group of assassins, one of which who Arya will become that quite literally wears faces of people. And we don't know how old Jack and Hagar is. He could be hundreds or thousands of years old. We don't really know how any of that faceless man magic works. And so... blood magic is powerful in a song of ice and fire. And Bruce Bolton's obsessed with blood. Apparently we're getting leached and he's pale and very gross. And almost like they say, he's like kind of creepily youthful. Like they almost look mm -hmm. like he almost looks like Ramsey in some ways. Um, the pale, I, the pa they always talk about his eyes, these sort of pale yes. blue eyes. And I do believe that, that that all these descriptions are on purpose because I'm a pretty big fan of George R. R. Martin's vampire novel called fever dream. It's really, really good. I would suggest you check it out if you're into horror books. Um, and I compared the, when he describes one of the main vampires in that book, and he uses quite a lot of the same adjectives and descriptions for Roose Bolton that he did with the vampires in that book. So at the very least, I do believe that it is on purpose that we're supposed to speculate about this. I do, too. I think it's probably just to sort of cause, yeah, cause us to sort of think about it. And it's mysterious just for almost the sake of being mysterious. Yeah. And I don't know. I've, I've got some ideas too. And I think maybe in our extended edition on Patreon, we'll talk a little bit about what we think will happen actually with Aria in winds of winter, because she's, she's one of these, she's another one of these characters where it's like, because she's an Essos, it's like, what happens when she comes over? Is she yeah. going to fulfill some of her list? Is she going to um, be the one to actually, who knows who she's going to take out when she comes back over mm -hmm. and she could totally be a foil in so many characters arcs that it could just be a huge game changer. And will she see lady Stoneheart? Yeah. I've often, I've often thought about that. We can talk about more of that, that uh, on the, on the Patreon episode, but I've always sort of thought maybe she would be the one to end Stoneheart, her or Sansa, hmm. you know, and, and almost not like she, like, not like they're going to have to fight her, but almost like, Stoneheart is this sort of ghost or something that, you know, okay, now she sees her daughters are safe and she gets like, okay, my purpose is fulfilled. Yes. Right. And so I can, I can now pass on. Here we go. Here's some other, here's this next paragraph. And this isn't, this is only like a three page, uh, maybe four page uh, chapter. It's really, really short. So as we um, continue on here, this next chapter, this next uh, paragraph I really like says every time she looks back, she half expected to see a blaze of torches pouring out of the distant gates of Harrenhal or rushing along the tops of its huge high walls. But there was nothing. Harrenhal slept on until it was lost in the darkness and hidden behind the trees. Uh, then they they keep going a little bit further. They're just sort of running. But then this last line here, and I, I like sort of how this whole paragraph ties together. 
you know, uh, thinking about the hunters that they brought dogs, dogs, all these things. She's like, you know, they could not stay on the road. There is death on the road. She told herself death on all the roads. So in a way, it's almost like Arya is looking back. Mm-hmm. I mean, here she's literally looking back at Hall. But in a way, it's almost kind of like she's looking back on this old life. Now that she's met Jack and she has the coin, it's almost like things are going in a totally new direction. And going forward, there is death on the road. Death on all the roads. And we know that later Arya will meet the ghost of High of uh, High Heart and she will say, you know, death is like with you. Death, death is with you. So yeah, remember Yorn also warned her about the you know when they were not taking the King's Road. King's Road used to be safe, and uh, Yorn died. You know, Amanda's doing his job, trying to do the right thing. And yeah, I do think that there is a a lot to say that one of the only things left for Arya on the old roads, as we will call them, is her family at River Run, which she can't even mention to Hot Pie. Gendry knows, but Hot Pie doesn't. And she's saying, I'll just have to get to River Run. And we know how this ends. We, we know that River Run holds nothing for her by the time she gets there. And the only thing she truly has is her little coin from Jack and Hagar. The only true mystery, you know, for her to pursue. So it, it's all set up very, very well for, for her to end up going into Essos and going into a, uh, kind of a new life. And uh, it's a little sad. I'm not going to lie. This is uh, sad. Ten-year-old girl, you know wild yeah aria is a lot of people's favorite character i i guess for me it's it's sort of the same thing i think it's just once the characters once they go to essos for whatever reason i'm just if i I just feel so much more attached to westeros Hmm. at least like danny's been over there the whole time she's sort of building it up and she's got dragons and we just know like when it's not like like aria's role could be a small one in the in the show even it's she does big important things like kill the night king but she doesn't really have like huge she doesn't have like the daenerys type of impact right when daenerys comes over we're talking like cities are gonna burn influencing armies like moving all of the pieces with the weight or sort of gravity around her chess piece whereas Arya's is a much more sort of a smaller line and i kind of think that's going to be the same way for her in the in in the books and i guess for whatever reason maybe i'm just i I don't know i just where we're at with her right now in the books i just feel a little detached not that her arc is bad or anything but i guess it's just like we're as we're ramping up towards sort of the bigger things for me ari i'm like i don't know yeah i should because like because she can go anywhere yeah. Right. Well, it, it, her story is a lot more of a personal one. Um, has a whole. Yeah. She is more of a victim of these politics and these wars that that are happening, and not really. She doesn't win this. Like, the, there's no winning for her, right? Especially at the end of this book. Uh, I love this because this is a little bit of a callback to the fantasy adventure with friends, albeit at a different type, uh, like a different way. Right. Usually it's uh, you're kind of going off to secure this big, powerful thing, but they're actually fleeing trouble and hot pie is hilarious. And he's already fallen asleep with a brick of cheese on his chest. Whenever she finally decides to take a rest, Gendry is also really compelling, I think, because we all know that he is Robert Baratheon's bastard and he's hiding a secret too. It's a lot, a lot of secrets uh, in this series. And this group happens to have two of them have, um, 
two of the bigger secrets, I would say, in in A Song of Ice and Fire. So I really like this. I think it's a little bit of a spin on the fantasy adventure. And it's also kind of a coming of age tale, but in a way that at this point in fantasy back in, you know, when it, this is released, what, 2003, um, that really mm -hmm. wasn't done before. So, yeah. Yeah, um, here's a question for you, Jimmy, as uh, as sort of as this chapter sort of goes on. So she, again, she's she's sort of thinking back to here, right? Um, you know, I really like this line here. You know, the, the rain had washed the guard's blood off her fingers. She swore a sword across her back. Or she wore a sword across her back. Wolves were prowling through the dark like lean gray shadows. And Arya Stark was unafraid. Fear cuts deeper than swords, she whispered under her breath. The words that Sirio had taught her, and Jacken's words to hmm. Valar Margulis. These people have had profound impacts. Yeah, and then of course we haven't. You know, we'll get there in, in this chapter. But man, it's like you just sort of look at the people that have that influence our characters' progression, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Cersei, it's her mom, and then of course you know, obviously Joffrey and everything like that. But really, I would, I think, with Cersei, you look at some of these other. I think some of the bigger figures, um, I guess the figures over her, not maybe like beside her, like Joffrey, um, you know, it's her mom and then Cersei and then Littlefinger is the ones who sort of shape her to her position. And Arya, it's Sirio Pharrell, <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, Jack and Hagar, and then the Hound. <laughs> The Hound and and Jon Snow a little bit. She thinks about Jon Snow in this chapter as well. She she misses Jon the most of all of her brothers and right. Um, and that's and that's a line actually too. Um, and we can we can jump we can jump around here because really, uh, you know, a, a lot of a lot of the rest of this is just them. It's just them kind of traveling. And Arya's Arya is beginning to she's putting her list together, right? You know, the mm -hmm. the list of the people she wants revenge on now. But I I do want to talk about that line you just mentioned there so there's a spot just a little bit later because again this chapter is really really small um hot pie wants to make a fire and Arya and gendry know Arya and gendry both said at the exact same instant hot pie quailed a little Arya gave gendry a sideways look he said it with me like john used to back in winterfell she missed john snow the most of all of her brothers and so i sort of thought about this line because we know Gendry and Arya have a little, it, it hasn't really sort of shown itself um, yet that they, they have some romantic, they got some feels. Yeah, right? I would say, I'd say there's, it wouldn't be unnatural for it to happen. They, yeah. There's some feels. Somebody yeah. might shoot their shot later. I do think that they will probably hook up like they did in the show. I at, can see it at some point. And I do think you could even have something similar where, Gendry's like, I want you to be my lady. And she's like, nope. Well, See also, <laughs> it, it calls back to Robert telling Ned our houses will be brought together. Right. Because Gendry is really Robert's son. So I I, I like right. that. I like that a lot. Um, But so this is when I took a note of where I said that line, John, like John used to back in Winterfell. She missed John most of all of her brother. So I'm saying Arya is thinking of John here, perhaps a little bit of romantic interest. Maybe at this point in writing, you know, this is probably an early chapter for George. He was still maybe planning on this John Arya love interest, which was one yeah. of like the original plans. And so it's like, okay, here's somebody that she's kind of got a little romantic feelings for, you know, whatever, or, you know, kind of likes. And she's also thinking of John. And yeah. we know that 
one of George's original plans was perhaps this yes. Aria John ship. Yes. And for those who are not aware, uh, there's an original outline floating out there where George had when this was a trilogy and things were a lot simpler uh, that Aria and John were supposed to end up together. Uh, so which is weird. Uh, very, very strange. I th see. I kind of read this and I said, oh, this is Gendry replacing George's plan of John. Could be. Yeah. I imagine Gen uh, Gendry Gendry was an addition later. Like yeah. I imagine on a rewrite or two, he probably then said, "Oh, I'm going to do something with that bastard boy." Like I, I could see him going further with not then, then just not being, "Oh, hey, he's he's Robert's son," and yeah, just a whole... catalyst for the investigation, yeah. right? Like I feel like it could, yeah. it, he probably decided to do a little bit more, kind of like where we, what we saw with Dark Star and Edric Dane, how how that kind of mm -hmm. gets split up later down the line, knowing that he had different things in plan for the timeline, so. For me, I, I read it and I said, oh, that's him saying this is now Gendry. Like Gendry's now. Do you, do you listen to the audiobooks or do you, you read it, read it? So I have. This is the seventh time I've read this book, I right. think. So this this time I'm going through it physically. Okay. Um, but gotcha. Roy Detrice is a legend and an embarrassment all at once. <laughs> right. He jumps around a lot, just so you guys know. So yeah, yeah. it's Gendry, he calls it in the books. But to be fair... The way so it's like the way we I think you sort of read it in the book is one way. The red the way that Roy Detrice says it might be multiple ways because sometimes <laughs> he changes like accents and stuff Brienne. like that in the books. <laughs> Brienne, yeah. Brienne. <laughs> Patire Baelish. Right. And then he Sanza says San Sansa. An Sansa and Sansa. Although in the show, sometimes people say that too. But what's really interesting is um in the books, I think he calls them. I think he's Balon Greyjoy, which is what, which is right. And then the show called him Balon Greyjoy. But George, anytime he talks to him, Balon. Balon. Yep. So is Balon <laughs> the way it's what it's supposed to be? Because so. that's what George says. So we should just discredit the show, you know? Caitlin, Catlin. I mean, Patire Baelish. Patire. Varus. So Lord I Varus. love Roy because, like, that was my first audiobooks uh, were, were with him. And there's a lot of nostalgia there. And I love the story behind Roy Detroit. So he worked with George on Beauty and the Beast. And they were, hit it off. They were like best friends. And George was like, will you please do my series? And I guess Roy, like he doesn't do audiobooks. Like he never did any other audiobooks. So he basically got his friend hooked up with a job so he could narrate his books. And right. I guess even with Dance of Dragons, like the publisher was like, you know, Roy was on his deathbed at this because he's passed right. now. Um, but I, if you listen to Dance of Dragons, it's pretty rough because Roy is like on the way out, essentially. And he's in... Um He's in Game of Thrones. Yes, he is. That's right. He's he, uh, is he's one of the pyromancers. Yes, with George, right? Uh, no, I don't think so. No, no, you're right. He is the one that actually speaks, I believe, to yeah. Bronn. Yes, that's right. When when Tyrion, yeah, when Tyrion goes to see, that's right. Um, Cersei's stash. Mm -hmm. Yeah, old Roy Detrees just chilling out. What a guy. Yeah, God bless his soul. It's it's so good. So. Um, okay, so I guess you know, I I'll read some of the last little bit here, but basically, they then they sort of hear some wolves howling, uh, in the distance. Like I said, this chapter is really kind of short. I think, sort of, the bigger things about this is I, I would really say it's you know, this is again also like chapter one, mm -hmm. 
um, so I'll, I'll read like sort of the last little bit here. So uh, Arya has a dream. Uh, she was no little girl in the dream. She was a wolf, huge and powerful. And when she emerged from beneath the trees in front of them and bared her teeth in a low rumbling growl, she could smell the rank stench of fear from horse and man alike. The Lysenes mount reared and screamed in terror and the other shouted at one another in man talk before they could act and the other wolves came hurtling from the darkness and the rain a great pack of them gaunt and wet and silent the fight was short but bloody the hairy man went down as he unslung his axe the dark one died sling stringing an arrow and the pale man from lee's tried to bolt her brothers and sisters ran him down turning him again and again coming at him from all sides snipping at the legs of his horse and tearing the throat from the rider when he came crashing to the earth only the bellied man stood his ground his horse kicked in the head of one of her sisters and he cut another almost in half with his curved silvery claw as his hair uh, tinkled softly filled with rage she leapt onto his back knocking him head first from his saddle her jaws locked on, on his arm as they fell her teeth sinking through the leather and wool and soft flesh when they landed she gave a savage jerk and with her head and ripped the limb loose from his shoulders. Exulting, she shook it back and forth in her mouth, scattering the warm red droplets amidst the cold black rain. So there she is, warging, having a wolf dream. It doesn't say it's Nymeria, but I think... I think we can guess. I think we can guess it's Nymeria. Pretty brutal, huh? Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is big. This is big stuff. This is warging. I mean, at, at least the, how I feel. And I also think it's interesting to think about how these things work in this world because George doesn't do like a hard magic system where he explains every little thing and how much mana or stormlight you need, like someone like a Brandon Sanderson. But all of his magic is pretty consistent across the board. And there's checks and balances with it and limitations and whatnot. And one of the things that you can notice about this chapter is that Arya is falling asleep on her horse. She is beyond exhaustion. She is she's done. And this is now when she has these wolf wolf dreams. So does it require one to be so exhausted that they let go of something? Is when the other when the other people do it too, you know, obviously Bran's kind of a different story, I think, because Bran knows what he's really sort of knows what he's doing. Whereas yeah. John and you know, Rick and we get a little bit of, you know, just like shaggy dogs off doing something and mm -hmm. Rickon's like, I had a dream. Um, so we don't it's, we don't really see a lot. So really our biggest takes, I mean, really, it's really John and Bran, I think, are the are the two um biggest takes. We have no idea if Rob ever does, which he might. We don't know. We don't we just we just have no way of knowing if Rob ever ever did work. And then Sans, of course, loses her wolf, so there that's that's obviously you know that that's that's obviously gone too but yes. i mean john you know he has one of the one of the times he wargs into um ghost is when he's up ranging beyond the wall so perhaps and of course he might be in ghost right now after he dies yeah it's just interesting. And also, this is all happening now. So, like, is this also all happening because magic is returning to the world and the meteorite, you know, that flew over the red comet? I don't know. Right. It's interesting to think about. Like, why now? Yeah. Do you? I, yeah. I'm sure we'll get, I think we will get a, a detail yes. as to why, why magic is specific. Is it just a time thing or 
It's just because the dragons are back, but the dire wolves show up south of the wall before the dragons come back. That's right. That's right. And and also the I mean the others they're they're coming down yeah. before that. I mean me and you have talked extensively about like what has triggered this and that like that is so there's a lot of things in this series that as we get the final books or we don't whatever, but if we do there there are things that are going to be left unsaid. Right. There's going to be things that we're just going to have to roll with. We're never going to get Roos Bolton was a vampire. <gasps> like we will never get that answer. No. I don't believe. I think it'll always be up for speculation. That was the way it was intention intentionally written. However, I personally would really like just a smidge of explanation in those final books about what triggered the white walkers and the others to come back. Uh, and I do think we will get that. I think that especially whenever we went over, you know, the game of Thrones prologue and, how there's almost a culture and a language around these, the whites and, and the others. Like I feel as if it is a foregone conclusion that there's more that meets the eye with them. So yeah, I would love to know more about working. Yeah, I would too. I'm just looking here to see if there's anything uh, from some of these things like 10, you know, 10 years ago, right. <laughs> where people uh, again, and this chapter is small really i mean this is this is definitely sort of a small uh small chapter and we'll get into and we'll get and we'll get into bigger ones so i think we've covered it uh i think you know as far as much as there is yeah for sure and it's a good chapter i like it it, it kind of gives you some context to the prior book remember this is an opening chapter people hadn't read exactly. it in a few years uh and it, it's not as info dumpy as i've seen other fantasy books do mid-series mm -hmm. where like it's almost insulting how much they remind you of so it's good yeah so yeah, next week though, uh will be Tyrion one and things Let's definitely go. get a little bit bigger there. And the Tyrion Storm Swords arc is like I mean, come on. Yeah, it's like it's like goat tier. The goat. I mean, it is it is yeah. it is it is quite literally like the bet the bet the best tier of 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 the whole thing. So yeah. awesome. Okay, well, I think over an extended edition, Jimmy, we will do uh, I kind of want to talk a little bit Aria Winds of Winter. So be sure to go check that out on Patreon or Apple premium and be sure to send us ravens you know at btkcast at gmail.com or bend the knee pod you know bend the knee.com right and um is it bend the knee podcast.com no, bend the knee podcast.com there we go gosh just been a <laughs> while yes um so yeah you can certainly do that and we do have some more uh i know i have some ravens in the in the gmail account and stuff like that we've been obviously on youtube posting things uh, as well so we will definitely come back and talk about that and of course if there's any news or anything so yes but with that guys we want to thank you for playing the game of thrones in our next episode we will be discussing a storm of swords Tyrion one and if you like our podcast don't forget to subscribe like us and write a review or leave a comment or send us a raven at btkcast at gmail.com or bend the knee we will see you next time and remember that winter <laughs>